Pickle, we got a wild episode already today. We're about <laughs> 10 minutes into recording. We have nothing Woo! nothing working. You wanted. Woo! We got a little little change of scenery here. Chris is down at Hit Tracks. I'm here at Pelotero's headquarters in Texas. Let's jump into these topics. A lot of stuff going on in the world with sports. We've got baseball games going on, teams clinching, basketball playoffs, NFL is going on. We got college football back, U.S. Open golf, a lot of stuff going on. Topic number one for today's Pelotero, pickle. Javi Baez running like he's invisible. This play reminded me a lot of the, uh, the Simmons play that we highlighted a few episodes ago. Just huge IQ, deking the center fielder with body language, paying attention. Paying uh, attention, you said. I had, a, I had a very just general comment about the casual nature of major league players on like a stand-up double, especially to the left field. Um, and I wanted to also highlight the, the Albert Pujols, uh, Yasiel Puig sack fly from a couple years ago where Puig was just super casual. Pujols, not a fast runner, tagged up and uh, showed him up a little bit, kind of teach him a lesson. So what do you got on this play? Um, look, I think he pays attention really well. You just said it. And the reality of the situation is Major League Baseball players end up being like creatures of habit so you know they catch routine balls and they do routine things that doesn't make it any better because then guys like Baez take advantage of it this is what I would call a very like little league play but I've seen stuff like this happen we lost well technically we didn't lose the American League Championship Series on a play like this but you can take advantage of what other people are doing on the bases all the time if you're just paying attention so if you remember the ball Batista was in right field Hosmer hooked the ball over my head Bats went to get it, the throw-in in the second. And when the throw-in in the second, Kane actually just kept running. The third base, really good job by the third base coach. So there's so many things you can do to set people up because the you can, if you put pressure on defenders it, and force them into making hard rush throws, like they're not going to make them most of the time. Like they're not going to throw the balls where they need to be or like they'll, they'll make good plays, but I mean, they're not going to put throws right on the money. So Baez is notorious for, for taking extra bases. And I give him a lot of credit because it just shows he's engaged in the game. And I think more base runners could do it too. Like you don't have to be fast to do the stuff that he does. You just have to set people up. And, and I think that's really what happened in that play. Like he just set him up because the ball comes in casually. And it's like the little league first and third play when the ball goes back to the mound or whatever, um, or the little league runner on third play, I should say. You know, remember when the guy, you would try to time him up from when he was throwing it? It's fun. Yeah. I feel like if you can do that, it's a ton of energy for your team. Absolutely. I think this is when coaches used to tell me, you know, think two out of the box, this is just an embodiment of that. So you have to look for opportunities. You have to anticipate failure. You have to anticipate mistakes. So like a, a really simple example is a base at the left field. The throw from left to first is pretty long. So you can be pretty aggressive with your turn. If it's going to be a close play at second, and you are running hard and you see the throw coming in offline, you can slide to the either side of the base and have a very good chance of getting in. If just you're paying attention, if you're, you have to put yourself in the position to make that happen. Um, I had a play like that in college one time. I, I rounded uh, first really hard. Um, I, I came around first base and I looked up and I saw the throw from the left fielder was high. It's going to go over the second baseman. So I just kept running. Like just, I never slowed down, never hesitated. I just sprinted. 
the first baseman was like chasing after me and he he got the ball through the second. I was safe. It was awesome. I just I didn't you, stop. I think if you pay attention and understand the other team's tendencies too, there's so much to be learned, right? Like if you're just watching how a guy picks up a regular ball and throws it into the cutoff guy, you, you can bet that like he's probably going to do the same thing on the next play. And it's just about awareness. You mentioned baseball IQ. You mentioned paying attention. That's what that's all about. And there's there's – there's points to be had on the bases. Like, and I, you know, Baez is notorious for the, um, Baez is notorious for, for those incredible slides too, where he has the ability to kind of do the shimmy or do the, one of those. <laughs> Pretty fun. They to call it a swim move. <laughs> yeah. I've tried those and I don't think I'm athletic enough to do them. Like every time I feel like I'm doing it and I'm like, yeah. And then I just never get there. It's probably cause I move like in slow motion. You yeah. go to pull the arm back, and I always get tagged. I'm, like, reaching across. He's nifty, man. Baez is, is really good at those. Do, in, in big league spring trainings, they, they have to be teaching that type of stuff now, right, for, like, sliding days? We don't have sliding. I don't think I had a sliding day in big league camp ever. Maybe one. That's completely we, false. I remember going down there with you and seeing no, guys like – I'm talking about with, with Toronto. We had one – I think we put – they literally, you switch pants, and you slide on the map one time, and then everybody goes in. But we didn't need to slide in Toronto. We were too good at hitting. Fair. Uh, so, in summary, Javier Baez is nasty at sliding, anticipation. Optimizing. The, the big thing for me is just put yourself in position. If you get a base hit to the left field, and you're just kind of like Cadillacing around first base, satisfied with your single, you're never going to be in a position to take that extra base. You're doing a service to yourself, to your team, to your family, to your country. I'll tell you this. Sometimes you could use the Cadillac to set somebody up, though. Think about Absolutely. It. Yep. Yeah, that's the whole cat and mouse of the game. Next topic. Uh, we have a single fan snuck into Fenway Park. Did you see this clip? I you just start, He's like, we love New York. Uh, just side note, if you ever break into a stadium, don't like reach into your shirt. Like if there were security there, that guy's getting sniped that don't, don't break into stadiums and don't like reach for something concealed. That's not a good plan. Um, Patrick wants to know some of the best fan heckling stories. I know if you go on YouTube, the most popular one is Tony Gwynn Jr. Doing the whole glove talking thing. Um, there's some good lines from independent ball, like. I don't come to the gas station and talk trash to you when you're doing your job, implying that they're a gas station attendant. Yeah. Uh, what's, uh, what are some of the best heckling stories that you've got? I stole the Tony Gwynn thing in Baltimore one time. So we're in Baltimore and I'm playing right field, which, I mean, it's not good when I play right field, right? It's not, I mean, it's not good normally when I'm in the outfield, if you put me anywhere other than first base. So, that night, it was like my second week in the big leagues with Toronto. So I had just gone up. I played a couple series, and we went to Baltimore. And you know how the wall, it's a high wall, and then people are out on uh, whatever, Market Street or whatever it's called. Utah Street. Utah Street. And I kept hearing this guy from the first inning. He's like, hey, Colapello, you got to go to Tokyo. Need you in Tokyo. And I'm like, <laughs> you got to play for them, Tokyo Giants. I felt like the guy in, uh, in Mr. Baseball. He's like, dude, he wants me to go to Japan. So he just kept saying the same thing. And, it, it, like, eventually even the people around him got tired of it because, like, I kind of was like, oh, man, like, yeah, like, that's cool. So I tried to engage with him because it was fun. And then by the end, he just kept, he didn't have anything new. 
So I was doing the nah, 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 every time we talk and then people started laughing. Like when people come up with good, clever insults, I would turn around and clap. Yeah. What's the policy on, on uh, acknowledgement of fans just in general, not even like talking trash. Somebody's like screaming your name. Do you avoid them? Do you look up and kind of give them a thumbs up? Like the Yankees have that whole roll call thing they do. Or they, no, that was, that's really incredibly cool, by the way. Being part of that is like, because then the players can all do like their own thing. Like I would pick like <laughs> something like that or whatever. But um, no, I mean, like at home, you're always, you're always more predisposed to do it than you are on the road. Um, I don't know. It, it, you, I, I hear everything. Like a lot of guys say that they can block stuff out. I heard everything. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't hear anything when I played. Did well, you feel like you got a uh, – was there a strong Italian support system for you out out in the big leagues? Uh, in Toronto, just a lot of a lot of Paisans up there anyway. You know, Paisan. So when I would feel it more around the city. Um, the I would say the, the – I'm, I'm thinking about like moments like um, that were really like weird and difficult when you felt like you were getting pooped on by somebody. Um, certainly post 2016, there were not a lot of nice things being said, but you know, at some point eventually like you just kind of come to terms with it and just do what you do. And it, the, the thing that like you have to remember is like, if somebody's taking the time out of their lives to talk smack about you, that means you've, you've done something important enough to, to be noticed. So yeah, that's uh, the whole Reggie Jackson fans don't boot yeah. nobody's thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, just, it, you know, it is what it is. Like, I think the, the coolest like fan interaction moment for me was when I hit that double in the, in the division series. And I, I remember getting a second base and I just went like this, like to behind home plate. And I heard the crowd change levels. It was, it was cool. Like it was, it, it you can feed off it. It can bother you, but I think no matter what, it's, it's fun times, man. Like, I think it's like, just the fact that somebody's paying attention to what you're doing. If you can acknowledge it like that, then yeah, I mean, you have to be okay with failing. Like this is the mental fortitude and toughest thing that we always talk about. Like I've been talking to a lot of our college guys about, you know, mindset and like, cause they're like, Oh my God, I swung and missed at a fastball. I'm like, yeah. Welcome to the club, man. Like we've all been there, dude. Like you just have, like you have to deal with stuff that sucks in baseball. Like that's why this game teaches you so much about yourself. Yeah, I want to. I actually want to shift gears hard here, yeah. and um, and really just isolate the missed opportunities of this fan. Uh, I feel like if you break into the game, he's the first attendee of a baseball game this year. Um, I think he should have started a wave. Yeah, yeah, by himself. Self wave solo wave would have been sick. Uh, we had a Red Sox Yankees game. How about a Yankee suck chant? If you've never been to Fenway, what? he was wearing a Red Sox jacket, right? Because I saw it. I don't, I don't know what's going on. He went in there being like, oh, we love New York, 9-11, uh, throwing what hats out. And he screamed out, hey, number 23, you'll never be Jordan. It was I, I don't think he's with it. I don't think he's with it. Yeah. But, so, so, so we didn't start the wave. No Yankee suck chant. And also, like, Sweet Caroline. What, what an opportunity. No, he should have. What, I think if he started swinging Sweet Caroline – the 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 whole team the whole everybody would have joined in it would have been a fun thing john sterling's reaction the yankees the yankees uh call guy was like who's that guy yelling <laughs> it was so awesome it, no, it was like, was who's funny that guy? i watched I, it i felt like you should have been like i should have been standing there type situation 
<laughs> I heard it today. And I was like, because um, hitting coach Pete Fatsy, uh, I talked to him yesterday. He's like, yeah, that guy was out there. And I was like, what? And the only thing I knew about the game yesterday was that my guy Kratzy gave up a homer. And I told, I texted him. I said, Kratzy, hit your spots better, bro. Like, what are you I doing? I think he got a pitching ninja with his knuckleball, though. So, yeah, he was throwing like a 53 mile an hour knuckler, nuclear. He can actually throw a knuckleball. Kratzy throws hard, too. He's kind of got a bazooka. I didn't watch any of his outing. I know JD Martinez took him deep. Yeah. Also, I want to, oh, I really want to stay on this topic because uh, I think we, we can do better. Um, different stadiums. If you broke into different major league stadiums, what are the things that you must do? Uh, I'll start. Milwaukee, you got to go down the homer slide. You just if you if you break it, homer slide. Arizona, you cool. hit in the pool. But how? Um, how? Wait a minute. With, like, what other stadiums? I had Miami. You go to the bar, but the bar is probably closed because of COVID. So what kind of authority are you going into that pool with? Though you cannonballing in, like, are you just going to try to get some elevation? Because I don't know how deep. I was a jackknife. I've always been a jackknife guy, but cannonball would work. Cannonball. What else? Yeah. Marlins used to have that big monstrosity in center field. Yeah, it's gone now, though. What, what, other, what other things exist in stadiums? I thought Tampa Bay swinging with the Rays, but that doesn't make any sense. Uh, I mean, you don't want to go with stadium. Tampa's as a stadium is pretty brutal. What, what other stadiums have like must do items? Yeah, in Oakland, you're going to want to like plant some grass seed probably when you're there. Um, avoid sewage. Yeah, just don't like don't go in the dugout. <laughs> Like, just avoid the stadium altogether. Like, if you see it, you're like, oh, Oracle Arena's right there. Cool. Like, avoid the stadium. Is that mean? If you, so, if you go, if you break into Oakland State Coliseum, just break don't. Out. Just don't it's, break. It's way better to break out of Oakland, Alameda. What do they call Oakland, Alameda County Memorial, whatever. I don't even know what it's called. Uh, what else? Philadelphia, eat a cheesesteak. But the concessions aren't open. I thought about that. Yeah, I know. Because a lot of the, a lot of stadiums have have like uh you know signature concession items. Pittsburgh, watch the game on TV behind home plate. They have the Pittsburgh's TV. actually a great. Uh, Never been there. It's really they got the yellow bridges in the background. They get the river. It's really nice. I think we just named off all the things that there are to do. Dodger Stadium's kind of older. Uh, I think if that guy went in there and started the wave, it would have been incredible. If you're in Cleveland, start singing Wild Thing. Wild, great, yeah. wild great thing. observation, that's, producer Patrick. That's another place that I like. Even if, if you bring in a drum and just start banging no, the drum, that'd be good. If you're going to break into Cleveland, just break out. Wild Thing, you make my butt sting. I detest you. You're all garbage. All of you. Back up the truck. Back it up. All right, let's move on. Next topic. We got some NBA chatter. I know you, you're big NBA guys. Uh, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown of the Celtics get into a little altercation. Uh, it sounded like it was about accountability, about, I don't know about placing blame, but like accepting blame. But they got into it. This to me, chalk it up to just high tension games. You're in the playoffs. Energy is just getting dissipated. They got to just blow it out. Here's here's my take on it, right? So game two was very like the Celtics basically handed them game one, which I told producer Patrick, I was like, you can't just give away games and the ECF. Um, and you know we felt good about the Celtics are the better team, but no, uh, Miami's just like kind of annoying. I would say like as a team, like which kudos to them. That's like something you'd want to be as an opponent. And it, it just felt like. The third and fourth quarter, they, they've played – I think the Celtics are like minus 
140 in the third quarter in the playoffs this year. Now, here's the thing. Like, there's frustration, emotion, whatever. Like, if people are like, oh, is it good or bad? Like, is it good or bad? We'll, we'll find out. I mean, like, this, I'm, I can't predict whether it's going to be right or wrong. Like, each team – Then they come out and win the next game? Yeah. It's, it's your team identity is your team identity. So, like, whatever you need to do to get yourself right, you do it. Is it going to work? They won game three, so they look like they came with it. And Jalen Jalen was nice. Jalen came with it hard, Bobby. Did you watch? Uh, I tuned in late just to talk trash to you guys via time. Timed in the fourth quarter. And you're like, here's the run. And I was like, I'm not like a tonight, bro. I mean, they cut it down to five from like 20. Not tonight, bro. It didn't matter. They could have cut it to one. It wouldn't have mattered. Have you ever had a situation where you needed to kind of like put a team up, teammate up against the wall, get in somebody's face? Yeah. I mean, there there's certainly been times where there have been words. I'd say like, you know, I try, I always try to resolve things with like peacefully, but there's certainly times where you get emotional and you start yelling at each other and probably not like, detail stuff that I can go into here. Yeah. I would say if, if you're in a situation, if you're in a leadership role on a team, it should never be about like physical performance. Like mistakes will happen. Yeah. It's about effort. It's about effort. It's about attitude. It's about just not, if you're not engaged, if you're not focusing, if you're not like, then you get in somebody's face if it's effort. It, you, those kind of moments can always be good. Like I, I feel like if you pick your spot well, it can carry you through a whole season. You know what I mean? Like it could, it could carry a team through a whole season. It's like the example of like, oh, you pick your best player and you yell at him at the first practice if you're the coach. And then everybody's like, whoa. You got to establish what you stand for. You got to establish what, what matters. You know, there's moments that you need to make decisions. You need to stand up and, and enforce things. So sometimes leaders got to do that. It's not easy, but. Sometimes leaders got to lead, man. Last topic, Bryson DeChambeau wins the U.S. Open by, quote, defying logic. This guy won the U.S. Open, only guy under par, uh, only guy under par in the tournament, only guy under par in the final round, just torched the course. This guy played out of his mind. He's walking off the 18th green, and the announcers say, Bryson defies logic. And this is just a, a huge case of just perspective and and what lens are you looking at the situation from? Because when I see what DeChambeau is doing is he's the most logical dude on the planet. He's using all the data available to him. He's measuring things. He's testing things. He's methodically searching for better answers as opposed to just relying on conventional wisdom. I think this is happening in the baseball world. It's happening across sports in general, but I just thought it was ironic that they use that phrase, he defies logic, when his entire game is based on logic. He's the Trevor Bauer of golf, right, if you want to One thousand percent. So, like, look, and this goes into learning styles and, and uh, whatever you want to call it, right? I, I've had multiple conversations with Trevor, and I think he's a super bright kid, um, really good conversation. Um, obviously, he can be controversial online and things like that, which is, you know, the, the – parts of his character that people see but and, and DeChambeau has the same thing happen to him which it's very it's eerily similar because people are like oh he's so controversial he's just not I'm like I don't think he's controversial at all I think he's just like standing up for what the way he thinks and the way he believes and and really empowering other people to feel like they can do it now what I'll say is this there are a lot of people that tell me that they can't handle too much information like, oh, because the old school way was keep it simple because the, the old school way was athletes going to athlete, right? The old school way was, oh, you can't do what the guy on TV does. 
the old school way was, you know, if you're good, you're good. If you're not, you're not. And, and you had to rely strictly on who you were as a player and your athletic capabilities and your own ability to make adjustments and see things and feel, feel your way through stuff. Obviously have discussions with high level coaches and things like that. But now there are so many weapons at your disposal. And again, it comes down to paying attention and desire and yearning. Like DeChambeau to me is impressive because he's a guy who just wants to be better. Like, and he's trying to figure out ways to do that. And I certainly understand the ability to keep your brain occupied and have that be, and have that matter. Like he, dude, he posted yesterday. <laughs> like that was ridiculous. I went, I watched that thing wire to wire and it, it, like, there was no way he was losing. Let's put it that way. Like there was just no way he was like, he could lose. And it was awesome to watch because, you know, he, he's doing it with some haters, I guess too, which is making it even better. So, um, you know, I certainly think there's validity to, to just getting after it like that. And, and I think it gives you, it, it's a plan, if nothing else, like it's a plan. So like he's committed to it, you know? Yeah. He, he shatters a lot of norms in the golf world. Um, something as simple as using clubs that are all single length that I, I said that to my wife this morning. She's like, is that not normal? It, she doesn't know. You know, so they were talking about things, Bobby Jones's clubs at that, uh, and that yeah. was funny that he said he noticed it right away. Yeah, so it, it's funny how if you if you're not entrenched in the world and know the customary way of doing things, like using the same length club is super logical. Like it's <laughs> it may it's way easier because you have one swing. It's one lie angle with the with the head at the at the ground. It's one length. It's one swing weight. If every club basically feels the same. So you're repeating one swing as opposed to having six or seven different swings, depending on how many irons you're carrying. Um, it just may, he's trying to make the game more simple in, in so many ways and people hate it. People, and I understand there's some tradition of the game. Like if, if it was a rule that you couldn't have single length clubs, then that'd be a problem, but he's not, he's not breaking any rules. He's, He's within the USGA guidelines for everything. So, like, he made a choice. He wanted to hit the ball hard. So, he just lifted for four hours a day, drank a billion protein shakes, and got jacked, and then he trained for speed. It, doing things that literally anybody else can do. Like, seems yeah. incredibly rational to me. Anybody on tour could just lift for four hours a day. Like, they, those dudes have resources. It's not like they, it's not like they have to have a full-time job and can't – you know, work on their game and do whatever they choose they're going to do. So it's just, it's funny to me for Bryson. It was a huge validation moment for the, the sacrifices he's made for the, all the hate that he gets nonstop, like Trevor Bauer being a Cy Young candidate this year validation, but credit to DeChambeau. Like just that, I mean, that was awesome. Like I, I it was incredible to hear him talk and with no fans, like you can hear him really talking through his process and, and how he's getting to places mentally and stay like really staying engaged and which can, you know, the one thing I heard a lot of the, like I heard Azinger talk about yesterday. Um, I heard all those guys, Faraday was talking about it, like the mental game, right? Like they're talking about how mentally strong you can be to win a major and win a U.S. open and all this stuff. And what I'll say is that what DeChambeau does really, really well is he stays so locked in and engaged on like his process and all the things that he needs to think about that it allows him to really probably channel his focus toward the moment, which is incredible. I think ultimately as an athlete, whatever you have to do to be able to do that, 
is what you need to do. So like for anybody to question his method is it's irresponsible. Like now, you know, it, it just in general, like the guy's a high level player before winning the U S open. Like he's one of the top 10 players in the world without a doubt. Um, and now he's just solidified himself. And I think, you know, it, it remains to be seen how much he can win. And, and uh, because there's a lot of really good players on tour that are going to be chasing those majors. Like, um, but I don't think he's going anywhere, you know? No, he was, he was a top 100 player in the world before he started trying to get jacked and hit bombs. Uh, two other things that I wanted to point out about DeChambeau. Um, they, they made the comment that the more information he has, the, like the more calm he gets. The calmer he gets, yeah. And which to me, I resonate with that. that. That really resonates with me because when I play golf, if I don't have a plan, I just Perfect. swing and it's just like, it's just, everything's loose. Um, the other thing that happened yesterday that I thought was amazing, and I, I haven't seen anybody else talking about it. I wish I could go back and record it. Um, it was all like, I think it was 15 or 16 green. He made a, a like a, a mildly lengthy par putt save. And he was like marching off the green. A moment where your adrenaline is going to spike. Marching like yeah. man on a mission march. And he, yeah. he literally stopped, took a deep breath, and then started walking slow. He did and I was like, I was like, he's ready. He's ready. They even talked about when he took the turn about how calm, like he was walking and um, that's uh we've mentioned, I, I know I mentioned it, I think last week about learning to win and learning how to control your emotions. There's, some, um, there's something going on there. Yeah. It's, it's something with, um, you know, pitchers doing pitch design. Adam Adovino is a guy that comes to mind, you know, he's learning how to make this ball do incredible things, but, doing it in the environment where there's fans, where there's emotion, where there's adrenaline. Um, I actually watched, there was a long drive competition recently and there's a guy with like super long hair. I forget his name, but he, they talked about his process and he will get his heart. He knows what his heart rate is in competition. So he'll match his heart rate. Like he'll like run around to do push ups. He'll like do crazy stuff right. to get his, to get his heart rate to like between 160 and 180 just so he's training under the, the same right. kind of conditions. Yeah. Well, I, it's funny you're saying this because I was having a con another conversation I was having with some of our hitting our guys, like our college guys. And I was like, dude, there are moments in games where you're here and there's moments in games when you're here. You have to adjust your approach and your psyche and your mindset based on whichever one of those guys you are in any given moment. Like you're hitting in the ninth with second and third, winning run on second, you know. Like you have to, you know, you have to – and, uh, bring yourself down a little bit emotionally you have to you have to lower that level you have to take deep breaths and then in the first inning or the sixth inning when it's an eight run game or whatever and you're having a pinch hit and you don't feel good about it like that might be the time you need to elevate and and that's the weird thing about about sports is like every moment every emotion has these things tied to it that are going to do want take you one way or another and learning how to manage that stuff is just as important as any of the mechanical and physical uh, Posho, I have some very exciting news today. I'm I'm cold. It's like 67 degrees in Texas, and I'm cold. I'm wearing a long sleeve shirt. Uh, I've been hot for about three months straight, and today I'm cold. No. Uh, NFL, what are you? Who who are your teams this year? I just want to know. I you pay attention to stuff more than I do. Just a quick. Bay Buccaneers coming with it. Touchdown Tommy's really going to make a difference to, you know, touchdown Tommy to big Rob G. You know, you got 87, a little slow right now. He's getting back into shape. Touchdown Tommy's figuring it out. They got the big win yesterday against Carolina. Got the one and one. You know, I have faith in the boys to come with it. 
So football is the only sport that I almost feel like a fan. And I realized yesterday that I think I might actually be a Patriots fan. I, I felt like I needed to watch the game. I, I've watched the Patriots for years because, to be frank, they're just really, they've been easy to watch. Like yeah, You expect sure. them to win every game. They win most games. I haven't gone through the hardships of a Patriots. Like, I, just, I, I was never really into football growing up. So it's kind of exciting to kind of have a team. I might, I might actually be a fan. I have no urgency to watch the Pats this year, like zero. I, you, You're a Tom Brady fan. You're not a Patriots yeah. fan. I'm a Tom Brady, Rob G fan. That's it. I realized that. I'm sorry. I didn't. I mean, like, I I, I kind of thought I was a Patriots fan. I love Belichick too, but like, I love his process more than anything else. Like when I got to meet him that one time, it's pretty crazy. I think that's a wrap. You got anything else? No, so much editing for producer Patrick. That um, is the uh, that's pickle for today. We'll see you next week. Woo! Woo!